Hi there, welcome to the Second Adolescence Podcast. Here, we talk about all things queer healing and second adolescence. So what is second adolescence, you might ask? Second adolescence is a sort of developmental life stage queer people navigate in our post-coming out adult years after growing up within an anti-queer world. For many, second adolescence is about healing the wounds of our younger queer selves, gaining the experiences they missed out on, and unlocking what it means for us to exist as our most free and true selves. I am your host, Adam James Cohen, psychotherapist and human who went through his own second adolescence. It is January 2023, and we took a break after the end of last year. We do 10 episode seasons here on Second Adolescence, and today we are kicking off our fourth one of these. And I am so excited to share this guest and this conversation with you. We recorded this a few months back, and I knew I wanted this to be the kickoff episode of this season because our guest is uh, just the best. This week's guest is Jake Federowski, who I personally believe is absolutely changing the running industry with their advocacy for non-binary inclusion in that sport. I am a runner, and so this is deeply personal and something I care about but I think that you don't have to necessarily be a runner to really appreciate the work that Jake is doing in the world. And yeah, this conversation isn't just for runners or people who like to sign up for 5Ks, half marathons, marathons. Though, if you are one of those people, you'll absolutely want to listen. We talk about Jake's advocacy work, which is, yeah, incredible, but we also dive into their own personal story and their own journey of finding themselves. They embody such an arc of queer healing that I think is really helpful for folks to be witness to. On this episode, Jake shares with us about their youngest, most purely themself, who was so playful and expressive before the world tried to socialize them into the box of boyhood. They then share with us about their own process in college and beyond of finding that playful, free self again and their journey of identity understanding and affirmation. This truly was such an impactful conversation for me and I feel beyond grateful for both the work that Jake is doing in the world, but also they're offering their own personal story with us here today. Just the coolest. And as with each episode of Second Adolescence, I really want to invite you as listener to listen with open curiosity, knowing that each of our stories are different and unique. You might hear some guests share things that really differ from your experience, whereas other guests might share things that really speak to what you went through or are currently going through. And I really hope that all of this happens and that together we can continue growing and expanding our awareness of what life and queerness and healing can be for folks. If after the show you want to connect further, feel free to head on over to secondadolescencepod.com for show notes and more, or you can follow the show on Instagram at, at secondadolescencepod. All right, welcome to the conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Second Adolescence. I'm really excited to have you on and see what comes up in this conversation. But before going anywhere, I like to invite the person on your end just to give a little mini introduction, just to give the listeners a little context to who the person is in their ears. So who are you? And I know that who are you question, like I giggle whenever someone asks me that, like there's so many ways to go with it. But what comes up just as an initial, who are you? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. My name is Jake Fedorowski. My pronouns are they, them. And I am a non-binary individual currently residing in Seattle, Washington. 
And I would define myself as an advocate for non-binary inclusion, specifically in the sport of running. But I'm also a huge musical theater geek and love anything that has to do with the outdoors, whether it be the mountains or the water. Cool. Okay. I have already a list of questions I want to just like rattle off, but I have to like center myself. I guess first to begin, I like to kind of begin here with a lot of guests is kind of centering in like, why did you feel pulled to coming on here to share your story and talk about this idea of second adolescence? What pulled you in? I think just like any queer individual, you know, our stories are so intricate And, you know, there's just so many different layers and moments in each of our stories. And I personally, you know, even like I was saying, listening to the previous guests who've been on the podcast, just getting to listen to all those little details and find those moments where, oh, that resonated with me. Like, that's something that I went through. Or, oh, I never really thought about it that way. Or, oh, I wonder, you know, that must have been really challenging. We learn so much through storytelling and through putting ourselves in, you know, that other person's shoes or, you know, in their experience. And I think there's so much strength and there's so much that we can take from people's stories. And, you know, specifically around this idea of the second adolescence, I think, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but like mine is, you know, at first I came out as gay thinking like, ah, did it, checked the box. And then all of a sudden was like, well, wait a second, actually, something's still not right, you know, Mm. and got into then discovering my gender identity and just realizing that like my second adolescence and and really kind of discovering who I am wasn't this one moment in time. And it continues to be this long journey that can be really challenging. It can be really exciting. It can be really emotional. Mm. And so just, you know, super excited to be here to talk about that. And I don't really talk about that journey a lot. Mm. Got a few friends that I'll I'll talk about these things with, but I've never really had those in-depth conversations with my family or just kind of with the general public, I guess. So I'm just excited to kind of actually learn from myself and really put words to what my experience has been and, and hopefully, you know, kind of figure out where it might go from here. Yeah. And I love that idea of learn from myself because there's something powerful that can happen when you like just allow yourself to step into a space to reflect and like oftentimes things come up from the unconscious or we make new meaning out of something or we see a through line in ways that maybe we didn't see before just through Mm -hmm. this act of reflecting on our own stories and telling our stories. So, ooh, okay, I'm excited to get to have you here and dive into yours. And I'm finding myself in this moment pulled because I have so many questions about your professional life and all the work you're doing in the running industry to really like shift the running industry and make Mm -hmm. it more of an inclusive space. But then I'm also so curious to also start with your personal story. And so, okay, I'm going to put a pin in your professional world because so much of this podcast is about diving into our own personal stories let's maybe start there. And so I guess when you think about your greater queer journey, where do you start when you reflect on the beginning of that story? Oh, I mean, I go right back to when I was a young kid. We always joke about how there was this moment when I was a kid, I was always helping like my great aunts and, you know, kind of my, some of my family members with like cleaning. We would go to like my great grandmother's house and we would help clean her apartment or her condo. And Mm. I specifically remember getting like my own little mini dustpan and like apron and broom, you know, like all just those little tiny things. And there's a specific moment that my parents tell me all the time about how 
I was walking around with, you know, the apron on and, you know, my cleaning things in hand singing a man, I feel like a woman by Shania Twain. Mm. And like, that's where I just always go back to Mm. is this like, you know, this boy, this baby that was assigned male at birth Mm -hmm. and, you know, therefore raised as a boy, you know, walking around singing, man, I feel like a woman. And just like that dichotomy right there is like, what a great place to start. (laughs) Oh yeah, totally. Totally. Well, yeah. What's it like? I'm always fascinated, like as adults looking back at these different moments in our stories, like in this moment, looking back at that little you, what comes to mind or what do you think about, or what do you experience as you just look back at that image even of little you singing that song? I think happiness. I Mm. think I wasn't at a place where I was the expectations of society or even just my family, right? And the people Mm. around me, those expectations, they hadn't had an effect yet. I was still so young and still kind of in that playful moment of my life where I just got to play with who I was and the things I was doing, the things I was interested in. And I think, you know, right there is like, that was the source of so much happiness and just like pureness in a way, I would think, right? Like, None of the, you know, society and and the things that life throws at you, none of that had really, you know, affected me yet, had really come into play. And so Mm. pureness and happiness, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I really appreciate that you started here because I feel like a theme I see so much both on the show, but also in so many conversations I have with queer people about their own healing journey is we can kind of, for not everyone, but a lot of us can look back and almost see like, the most pure version of us before the world told us we weren't allowed to be that. And there can be this powerful image and memory of our younger selves, just as you're speaking to, like experiencing just play and curiosity and freedom. And for many of us, our path is back to that person in adulthood, right? Finding who we were then and kind of shedding the shit that the world put onto us. And I guess I'm curious if that resonates as part of your arc and your story? Oh, 100%. I mean, I went to school originally for musical theater performance and Mm. that, you know, year and a half that I was doing a lot of like acting and and musical theater type classes, you know, so much of that is kind of shedding those things, those weights, I guess, um, Mm. and getting back to that playful self, getting back to that child, that inner child that is able to just kind of let go and explore and have this open, curious mind. And I, I that was, oh, was one of my favorite parts about that time of my life was just wow. getting to be in, in a safe space, you know, in a, in a studio, in a classroom and get to let a lot of that go and just play and discover with those around me who were doing the same thing. And so I totally resonate with that. And now as, you know, I'm out of school and, you know, kind of doing other things, but mm. I still like to go back to that, especially like as I start to discover, you know, my love of makeup and Mm. the ways that I get to express myself a lot of the time feels like that child again, feels Mm. like that kid that just got to explore and didn't have a worry in the world about what anyone else thought they were wearing or, you know, they had on. So definitely resonates for sure. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I'm really excited to get to that part <laughs> of your story. Okay. But yeah, let's wait. First, jumping back a little bit, like kind of catching this younger you first kind of existing in the world in this like playful, expressive, curious, free way. And then the world kind of added some stuff onto your plate. And I'm curious about what do you remember about kind of the soup within which you were socialized and kind of baked in Mm. and kind of what do you remember kind of being told both about gender, about sexuality, like what happened 
in childhood into early adolescence around kind of what messaging you were getting about who you are and who you quote unquote should be. Mm-hmm. So when I was a kid, you know, I was raised in a very cis heteronormative family. I was kind of always raised in this house where I had this vision of, you know, you're going to grow up, you're going to marry a woman, you're going to have kids, you'll be happy, right? Like that was kind of what I was witnessing. And that's just kind of what I always envisioned for myself. You know, my parents got divorced when I was like six-ish. And that kind of started to throw a wrench in like that vision, Mm. right? Like, oh, wait, okay, interesting. And, you know, at the time we were going to church and I was being raised in this Lutheran setting. And as I started to get older, starting to realize that like I didn't necessarily subscribe to that and I didn't really believe in the things that maybe my parents or my family believed in. And then as a kid, because I was raised as a boy, you know, I'm from Minnesota, so hockey, like first thing that comes to mind. And so played hockey forever, not forever, but for a few years Mm. and, you know, played a bunch of different sports. There was baseball, soccer, tennis, and eventually none of them really panned out. I never stuck with any of them for a, a, you know, an extended amount of time. Mm. And at the time, I think I was just like, oh, like, I just don't really enjoy this. I'm not really into it. And then eventually discovered theater and art and music. And that was super exciting to me. And so I kind Mm. of veered off into that direction. Mm. But what I realized is like, I look back on that time of my life within that sporting world, that athletic moment of my (laughs) young childhood. And I realized that it wasn't that I didn't, I mean, yeah, I didn't enjoy the time that I was spending with those sports, but I look at like the community that I was operating in or playing in, right? And it was a very masculine setting. And as a child, like I was definitely more on the feminine side. And so I didn't see myself reflected in, you know, my peers. And I saw this a little bit too at school, you know, with my friend group and and the people that I was getting along with. I just, for some reason, I think at the time was like, ah, you know, I'm just not that sporty kid. But I think Mm -hmm. like I'm a runner, like I am athletic, like I am into those sorts of things. I am competitive, but It was more a reflection of the other kids that I was with in those settings and me not really seeing myself, not being really welcomed or accepted in those spaces. And obviously at the time, I didn't have the terminology. I knew very little about what gay meant, let alone queer or non-binary. Like those were not even things on the radar yet. Totally. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so as a child, like I just, I knew something was off. I knew I wasn't really fitting in. But I didn't really have the language to explain that. And, you know, I was living with this family within this setting that kind of always just told me that I was going to fall in love with a woman, I was going to get married, I was going to have kids. And that was how I was operating at the time. And then it all started to unfold and I started to make lots of realizations. Okay, yeah. And what was that process of making those realizations? Because like, I feel like for so many of us, there's a similar theme of like this general feeling of differentness, but we don't, again, like you're speaking to, we don't have the language, we don't have the understanding to understand what we're feeling and why we maybe we're not feeling like the boxes people are putting us in or mm-hmm. the world is seeming to put us in. But then that can gradually kind of, as we get older, we start to gain a little bit more conscious awareness to really what, yeah, that differentness perhaps is about. And I'm curious, Mm -hmm. you and your story, like these realizations, what was that process? So when I was in junior high and high school, that expectation of like finding a girlfriend Mm -hmm. and, you know, 
asking that girl to the dance or to prom or whatever the situation was. I just kind of felt like, oh, those are things I have to do. That's what's expected. And so I did those things and like I had girlfriends, but it never really felt right. It just kind of felt like, oh, okay, this is just what I have to do. I don't know. Like it, yeah. It's hard to describe yeah. that because it, I don't know, it's just like that time and the way that I was thinking about those relationships and those expectations, like it's just, it's hard to describe, but mm-hmm. definitely did those things. And then once I was kind of toward the 11th grade time of my life, realizing like, oh, okay, this makes sense. Like I'm starting to learn what gay, straight, bi, you know, what those things mean Mm. and starting to realize, okay, I think I know what's going on here. Started to realize that I was actually noticing and being more attracted to men or to the boys that were, you know, Mm -hmm. around me. And so I knew for college because so growing up there, you know, along with all this being different, right, there was definitely like some bullying and, you know, just Mm. the typical like this kid doesn't really Mm -hmm. fit in. And so I don't really, I mean, it wasn't the worst experience, right? Like it wasn't like any sort of like physical bullying, but it was, there was definitely a lot of like instances of verbal bullying happening. And I just don't really look back on that time as, you know, like fondly. (laughs) Sure. Totally. I knew too, like after getting to high school and like starting to figure out who this kid was, I was like, Mm. oh, I really want to go to school out of state. Mm. Like I really just kind of want to get out of this town. Sort of small town, not super small, but a lot of people knew a lot of people. And um, Mm -hmm. I knew I just kind of wanted to go to a new place and kind of just be able to discover who I really was and and really get Mm. to explore that. And so that's where Mm. I looked to Chicago and went off to study musical theater. And That to me was, you know, I look back on that decision to move to Chicago as one of the best decisions I've ever made because I was able to enter a new city, a new space where nobody knew me. And I was able to really dive into this exploration of myself and not have Mm. to worry about who was around me and what they thought of me or what they knew Mm. of me. And um, it was just such a wonderful experience. And I really am so thankful for the people that I met in Chicago and you know, mm. the teachers and the professors and the people that I got to interact with really helped kind of shape who I now am. And during that time in Chicago is when I started to learn a lot more about, oh, one of my favorite courses was the queer literature course. And like that mm. taught me so much about wow. the queer experience and, and my professor mm. was queer and like getting to see a person yeah. just living their life authentically. Wow. I was like, right. what? What is this? Yes. So yeah, it you know, wow. Chicago really taught me so much and really oh my gosh. you know, was a key moment in my life and and at yeah. the time remember like I'm still thinking, ah, oh, you know, I I figured it out, I'm gay, like I'm going to live authentically as my gay cis self. Um, mm. little did I know, <laughs> hadn't quite figured it all out yet. Right, right. Okay, wait, but before jumping to that piece of your story, I'm curious, just like in this, because I hear how powerful Chicago was for you on like so many levels. And I'm just so happy that you got to have that experience. And I'm also curious, like, okay, going into Chicago, what do you remember believing about queerness and your own identity? Mm. Like, I'm always curious about these internal beliefs we're holding both about ourselves, but also what it means for ourselves to have these different aspects of identity. And what do you remember going into that chapter? It sounds like you were set on, okay, yeah, I got to get out. And like, perhaps consciously or unconsciously, you were thinking that'll be a place where I can just either find myself or feel better or Mm -hmm. what have you. 
What do you remember really thinking about all that? I remember going to Chicago with a completely blank slate. Mm. And I remember when I, you know, because I came out to like my immediate family kind of right before I graduated high school. So only a few months before I went to Chicago. Mm. And I do remember like during that coming out process, I even contemplated like not telling my mom until Mm. I was in Chicago. Like, cause I thought, oh, Mm -hmm. I can just do like a quick phone call and you know, it'll just be so much easier. And then had the realization of like, okay, no, maybe you should tell them in person, like before you go. And I'm so glad I did that because that allowed me to really go with this blank slate. Like at the time was like, okay, you know who you are. You are this gay cis boy that's, you know, headed off into this new world and you're just going to kind of open yourself up to experience, you know, experience new people, new practices, new cultures, new everything, right? So really just kind of going into it with that open mind and, you know, studying something that I was and and still, you know, super passionate about. And, you know, just really got to learn a lot about queerness, both through like the courses I was taking, but also because I was at an art school. So a Mm. lot of the kids, you know, a lot of the people there were also queer, right? And really just got to learn from different people, you know, because when I was in high school, like there were maybe a couple other gay kids, but really it was kind of just all I knew of was my experience. And so in Chicago, all of a sudden I was like, oh, like I'm starting to learn about the trans experience and I'm learning about the gay, lesbian, bisexual experiences. Um, Those were all kind of new things to me, new concepts. And God, I just, I was able to start to really form a, like a vocabulary for what these different identities meant. I guess I would say like Chicago served as kind of the foundation for like my advocacy work now and the queer history that I was learning and like that general understanding mm. of the queer experience, all that began in Chicago. Because yeah, in high school, you're, <laughs> we weren't learning about, you know, there's no wow. queer sex ed back right. in that time. And there still really isn't for the no. most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I, and I guess that's another thing too. Like I had to learn a lot as I experienced it, right? Like, well, first of all, my parents, I feel like I didn't really get like the talk or like, I didn't really get like that sex education at home. Like Mm -hmm. I got what they teach at school, but, Mm -hmm. and for sure, like didn't get any sort of gay sex education or queer sex education. So all Mm -hmm. of that was learned on the internet and, you know, through experience and through my friends. And a lot of it was kind of centered around my experience in Chicago, which, you know, is a great place for a lot of that to happen, right? Yeah. And how was that for you to start having those experiences? Liberating, terrifying, (laughs) all of the above. All Um, of it, right. It was really cool. I mean, I, Mm. I made lots of mistakes. I learned a lot. I really grew as a human and specifically as a queer individual. Yeah, it was exciting. It was scary. But I had this sort of confidence, I think, because I didn't have to worry about what other people thought, right? I didn't have anyone there that was going to judge me. I mean, sure, maybe there would be people judging me, but I didn't know them, right? And it's, you know, I think about all the time, like, I never really wanted to settle back down in Minnesota. You know, I go home to see family and stuff, but it's kind of hard for me to think about going home because Mm. it is that thing of like, those people there know me as that cis straight boy, right? Quotation marks. Mm. And um, I think whenever I go home, there's always this anxiety, this sort of kind of fear about like, what are they going to think? You know, if I show up with 
earrings or with makeup yeah. on or heels on? Like, what are they going to say? What are they going to do? And in Chicago, in, I mean, I lived in Dallas, Santa Fe, and now Seattle, like, those aren't things I really worry about anymore because mm-hmm. these are spaces that I've entered as that queer individual. And so that worry doesn't really cross my mind. But when I go back mm-hmm. home, that immediately clicks in. And it's hard. It's really hard to go home. Um, yes. Hard yes. both because like I'm excited to see my family and mm-hmm. to see my friends, but mm-hmm. it's also this conflict, right? I would just describe it as anxiety. It's always anxiety-inducing when I go home. (laughs) Yes, totally. Gosh, I mean, I'm just like nodding my head and like I can relate to elements of that too in my own personal story. My word is depression, not anxiety when I go Mm. home because I can so feel still. It's been a process. For me, I've been someone where I've like, felt a need to kind of repair my experience of my hometown, which has been a lot of work um, mm-hmm. ongoing still. But it's been so my experience where I step back and I just feel what younger me felt, which was so much of that depression, mm-hmm. which was so much of that kind of smallness and trappedness. Having to really work with this younger me and let him know he's safe now and he's okay now. Mm-hmm. And like this perhaps can be a place where he can exist. That wasn't true back then. So like mm-hmm. I share that just because in my own journey, I can relate to like hometown being complicated. I think for so many queer people, hometown is complicated. A lot mm-hmm. of people have had to make a decision where, you know what, it doesn't serve me to like have any relationship to my hometown. It serves me best to kind of have that boundary there for other yeah. folks for various reasons. They have to step back in. So, oh, I mean, I just really appreciate you sharing that part of it because I think we all get it. Oh, we mm-hmm. get it. Oh, totally. I think you also add in the elements of just like, you know, shame and nostalgia Big and time. like, you yeah. know, all those different things really kind of factor into that equation. And mm. so, you know, I remember when I was first kind of starting to travel and like, you know, going to school and living in different places around the country, my mom was always talking about, oh, like you're never home anymore. And mm-hmm. I think, A, I was super busy working and like trying to start my career as a stage manager at the time. But also I think subconsciously, like there was this, yeah, but I don't really feel comfortable coming home. Like it's not, it's not necessarily my family, but it's just like, it's hometown, as you said, like it, it's that environment. I just, I still don't feel comfortable going back and revisiting and having those memories of, of that kid yeah. that just didn't feel normal, didn't feel mm. accepted. And, mm. you know, with that comes a lot of sadness and like, you feel bad. Like I feel for yes. that kid, right? Like yes, totally. <laughs> that kid is a completely different person now and, or not, mm. I wouldn't even say like completely different, but like that kid has discovered who they actually are and yes. able to live authentically in these other places, you know, so going back and revisiting that is really challenging. Mm, absolutely. Well, so, okay, so I'm thinking about you and your story about Chicago really jumpstarting so much of this healing and expansion is what kind of the two words mm-hmm. that are popping up for me. And then you were alluding to this other part of really developing more awareness of your gender identity. Tell mm-hmm. me about that piece. Yeah. So, and I'll start to weave in some of the running here because it kind Yay, of yes. it kind of is a parallel, which I've discovered in the recent you know weeks. But cool. when I was in Chicago, that was when I started to do more running on my own because I hadn't been doing sports or anything. I was doing all theater and art and whatnot. And I think first of all, it was like I needed something to just stay active and like take care of my body. Mm. <laughs> and so I was doing like biking and rollerblading and running. Mm. And to me, at the time, you know, running was something I could do because it was an individual activity. I didn't have Mm. to worry about 
fitting into a team or a group. So when I was in Chicago, started to run, started to, you know, bike and all that, because to me, those were individual activities. Those were things I didn't have to worry about fitting into a team or, you know, a a culture, right? I could just do it on my own. And really kind of discovered like this was a great way to, yes, take care of my body and stay active, but like it was kind of a reset for me mentally and emotionally. Mm. As I was kind of going through this process of figuring out who I was, it was a way to kind of ground myself and be able to kind of escape, you know, school, work, life, just be outside and, you know, be with myself and my own thoughts. So eventually, a couple of years later, arrive in Seattle. And I stumble upon the Seattle Front Runners, which is an LGBTQIA plus running and walking club. And for the first time, realizing that, oh, this thing that I love to do by myself can actually be done with a group of people that mm. will support you, affirm your identity, and yes. uh, celebrate you and your existence, right? So yeah. that was a super exciting moment for me because I got to really start to get myself back into that like competitive sport mode that I was mm. trying to get to as a kid, but it was never mm. really clicking. Yeah. And so that was a really exciting moment for me. And while Mm. that was happening, this was in 2021, I'd always wanted to host my own podcast. And so Mm. I started to get ready to launch my podcast, which was titled Queer by Birth, Proud by Choice. Mm. And this podcast, the whole idea of it was, you know, yes, we as queer folks are coming out to our family, our friends, whoever, and that's really important. But to me, that's a very external thing. It's something that's mm. it's always about like, oh, how did it go? You know, who did you tell? What did you do? How did you say it? How did they react? Right. And I'm more interested, or I was more interested at the time, in figuring out the next step, which I believe is this moment or series of moments where you finally feel proud in and of your queer body. And Mm. so the whole point of this podcast was to really focus on those moments. Mm. And as I was getting ready, you know, doing some research and kind of getting ready to have different guests on, started to once again, learn some of that terminology, learn about different people's experiences who were, you know, gender nonconforming. And all of a Mm. sudden was like, oh my goodness, there it is. Like that is the thing that I have been trying to figure out this whole time this existing outside or between or even beyond the gender binary of men and women. And so that's kind of where all of a sudden I was like, oh my goodness, this non-binary identity that I never really knew about, all of a sudden I have the language and it finally clicked for me. And so that was kind of, you know, I, I look at college was like, okay, this gay cis boy is figuring it all out. And then as I was operating over the next few years, there were little moments here and there. Like I always talk about, I was in Dallas, Texas for a a contract. And I remember I was at a Trader Joe's and I had on my like, I had like these Chelsea boot heel things on. I had like my black trench coat and I had a purse. And the person at the register when I walked up, was like, oh, like, how can I help you, ma'am? Or, you know, said something about like, ma'am and use she, her mm. pronouns. Mm. And I remember like, it was a bit jarring because I hadn't really experienced that before. Uh-huh. But at the same time, it didn't necessarily feel wrong, right? Mm. Like it just was like, oh, that's interesting. Like it was mm. kind of playing into, you know, the more feminine side of my identity. Mm. And then, you know, kind of from there started to have more instances of like, People would say like, ma'am, or, you know, refer to me as if I were a woman. And then they like, they look at me 
closer and they're like, oh wait, oh sorry, like I'm so sorry. And I'm like, it's it's fine. Like, you know, mm. it's but then once I got to Seattle, finally then realizing, oh, that thing I was feeling, that difference, right? That I, I don't mm. really I'm not really subscribing to what society's trying to throw at me. Finally having the terminology to be able to say, this is who I am. This is who I've always been. I just wasn't ever able to describe that with, you know, the vocabulary that I had at the time. So yes. yeah. Wow. Wow. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So now I'm jumping back to what you mentioned earlier about like the power of like discovering makeup and expression Mm. and like as deeply connected also with really affirming your identity and perhaps reconnecting you back to that younger you. Like tell me about on the other side of this awareness of recognizing your identity in this really new deep way, like makeup or otherwise, like what were the things you did to start to play to find yourself more? What did that look like? It goes back to even when I was a kid. Like there are pictures mm. of me. There's this one photo of me with like these, they're like gloves or something, like, you know, long gloves going up my forearm. And they're like this glittery, sparkly thing. And like there's this photo of me like with my hands up and just super happy. Mm. You know, I remember too when we were kids, we would play like house and I would always want to be the mom. Or, oh my gosh, the game Pretty Pretty Princess. Oh, yeah. Loved mm-hmm. that game. Loved like <laughs> clipping on the earrings, you yes. know, putting the bracelet and the ring on. Yes. Just this fascination with dresses and mm-hmm. heels. And I remember too, always imagining I would have like super long hair someday and mm. what that would feel like. Mm. And so as I got older and as I started to kind of discover my queer self, you know, in Chicago, even like that's when I started to like pick away at like, okay, I'm going to get this trench coat now. And oh, yeah. I'm going to get these heels. They're, they're really, you know, it's a, it's a pretty you know, thick heel. It doesn't really feel too stiletto-y. Like I can get by with this. And just like those little changes to my look or to my identity, you know, at least the expression side of it was able to really start to play with that. And actually it wasn't really until recently that I started to play with makeup. I mean, we, Mm. you know, I, I used makeup when I was in like high school and college and doing theater but I would have never worn makeup like out in public. But now I just, oh, I, it's one of my favorite things because at heart, like I'm just this creative person. And I think makeup is a great way to play and to explore and to express. And um, I, you know, I think like a lot of us was doing a lot of TikTok watching and, you know, whatever <laughs> it may be over the last few years during the pandemic. And all of a sudden was like, why am I not just trying this out, right? I I know that this is something that I do in other parts of my life. Like, why wouldn't I play it in this situation? So it wasn't something that happened overnight. It was definitely like a phased process of like, you know, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. Like, I really am obsessed with like the high-waisted pant look and like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I got some pearls recently. And, you know, mm-hmm. just these things like I start to play with and, and start to just show both my friends, my family, you know, my immediate surrounding here in Seattle, like clothing, makeup, these things, like they're not gendered. Like these are, yes. they're just ways for us to express ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what a lot of my, even my advocacy work has now become is just showing that like, this constructed binary of man, woman, and, you know, all the expectations and roles and things that come with that. 
it's all constructed. It's things that we've mm-hmm. just made up as a society. And how can I start to break some of those things down and show that you can be cis, right? You can be a man or a woman or even trans and, and different elements of those identities can be played with. But specifically, like within the non-binary and gender non-conforming experience, like you're definitely playing with those lines, right? And mm-hmm. playing with um, those different elements of both identities. So mm-hmm. anyways, that was my long-winded answer, I think of uh, uh, <laughs> trying to describe no. that. <laughs> Gosh, thank you for that. I feel like your story is such a great example of, you know, within this framework of second adolescence, I often think like a task for us as adults is like connecting with our authenticity, like our truest, mm. purest selves, and then like showing up in the world from that space. And in that mm-hmm. process, when we can do so in a way that we feel safe to do so, there's so much healing that happens, particularly for our younger selves who maybe came to hold shame for that authenticity, shame for certain desires, shame for certain interests. Like Mm -hmm. I myself, I loved Pretty Pretty Princess. I wanted to play with my sisters all the time, but then like I like wouldn't tell my friends that I wanted to play. Like I would have to keep that aside. Mm -hmm. And so there has been um, in my own personal story too, like this reclaiming of it's okay to have these interests that like make me excited and curious Mm -hmm. and go for it. And so I just feel like your story is such an example of the arc of queer healing of like stepping into who you are and having these moments, like these little moments over time, like you're saying the different changes of, okay, I'm going to get this heel. I'm going to get this coat and I'm going to try makeup. Like each of those, I hear you also sending this message to younger you like, Hey, you are okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. As you are. And, Oh, I don't know if you identify with that word healing, but I, maybe cause I love healing. I just like <laughs> see it all over your story. And it's just very, it's very cool. It's very cool. And I mean, I don't know if this has been part of your experience, but it can bring up some stuff whenever we step out in our authenticity. I don't know if you've had to like step through fear and shame or whatever has been internalized. That can also happen for some of Mm -hmm. us when we are learning how to be in our queerness, whatever that means for us. There Mm -hmm. can also be some resistance we have to navigate. Oh, yeah. Probably the hardest thing about all of it is, is my family. And like mm. showing up to them or to, you know, with them and incorporating these different elements. Like when I started to mm. kind of play with makeup, my mom was like asking me questions about like, what does this mean? And I was like, mm. it just means that I'm playing and that right. this is a w- another way for me to express myself. You know, I get to help educate my family and um, those closest to me because, you know, I was kind of the first queer kid in the family, I guess. And, you know, really getting to help them understand the experience. And I feel like I've gotten to open them up to a lot of different things as well, which is super fun and exciting, but it's also Mm. exhausting. Yeah. It definitely like brings up a lot. And, you know, it's just, once again, it's exploring, it's discovering, you know, I think at first I always thought I'm going to discover who I am. I'm going to like be able to put a name to it. And then like the work is done. But Mm. we all know that this is just, it's a lifelong journey. Like Mm -hmm. this is not something that like you're going to get to it and be like, all right, did it, check, what's next? It's going to be a constant journey of evolving and changing and Mm. redefining and rediscovering, right? Like that's the exciting part about living is that We don't have to arrive at like an end point. We get to keep doing those things. But I will also say like, I feel like society kind of pushes us to get to that end point, right? Like even like when you're in junior high and high school, it's like, oh, what are you going to be when you grow up, right? Like, what are you going to go to school for? What are you going to study? It's like, they want you to have all of that figured out at 
17, 18 years old. And it's like, I, 10 years later, I am nowhere near what that kid thought they were going to be, mm. right? Like I was going to go to medical school. I was going to like do all these things. Uh-huh. None of that has happened. And I look, you know, completely different <laughs> from what I thought mm. I was going to look. You know what I mean? Like all those things that mm-hmm. I was kind of envisioning as like, oh, that's where I'm going to be. That's what I'm going to get to. That's not reality. And it's just so frustrating. And I could go off on a tangent too about like how we're raising kids and, you know, this whole idea of like, oh, you're assigned male or female at birth and therefore you're a a boy or a girl. And that means pink or blue, you know, sports or Mm. whatever the opposite of sports is, Um, art, dance, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I just, I personally can't wait to have my own kids and raise them in such a way that they are allowed to just play and not have to worry about those different expectations and just get to discover, you know, who they are and find themselves and just be exposed to different activities and people Mm. and experiences and let them really come into their being on their own and not, you know, Mm. us having to prescribe that for them. Totally, totally. Yeah, it sounds like you're of course going to be doing that within your own family. I'm also thinking about the work you're doing in the world right now and your advocacy work. I'm curious, yeah, could you share about when did that start and how did you get into it? Yeah. Oh, goodness. So as I said, like discovered Seattle front runners. Yeah. As I walked into that space, it was a very cis, gay centric community. And I was like, well, hey, you know, for those of us who are non-binary, who are trans, who are women, you know, we don't really see ourselves reflected. What can I do to help change that. And um, that kind of inspired me to run for the board and to really start to be an advocate within that community. And then at the same time, I'm, you know, I'm registering for races, I'm running, you know, longer distances because the Mm. front, I mean, I really am so thankful for joining front runners because it pushed me to run my first marathon. Like it pushed me to like attain these goals that like, (laughs) I never thought were possible. But as I'm registering for more races, I'm starting to realize like, wait a second, like all of these races are forcing you to basically say, you know, I'm registering as a man or a woman. And what about those who aren't men or women, like who are non-binary or who are any, you know, because I I identify as non-binary, but I know that non-binary can be an umbrella term, right? And has all these other identities beneath it. So what about all those folks, right? Those, Mm -hmm. Those folks who aren't subscribing to that man, woman binary. So I think with the confidence of like being on the board and, and you know, kind of being an advocate within that community, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to write to the race director of this one race that I wanted to run. And I just said like, hey, I really want to run your race, but I don't see, you know, my identity isn't included in this space. And I don't want to continue to pay for races and, you know, be misgendered or forced into these boxes in which, you know, I don't exist. And that race director came back and was like, oh, because at the same time, we were seeing news on the East Coast with like the Philadelphia Distance Run, the New York City mm. Marathon. We were seeing them start to do this work and create non-binary divisions. Mm. And so I, you know, in the email was like, there are things happening. Like we're, we're seeing some movement on this topic. And the race director came back and was like, yes, like we want to do this, but we just don't know how. We have all these questions about how to address this or how to implement that. And I'm, I'm not a race director. I was just, you know, the random person sending an email. So I went off and like got those questions answered from a bunch of people in the industry. 
and mm. kind of came back after it was about a month of like I had like thirty plus conversations in the span of you know a few weeks. It was very very intense. But I came back to the race director and I said like, hey, here are all these answers, and in doing so realized, oh, I have a resource. Like all of a sudden, I've now kind of constructed this, what I've now called, you know, the guide to non-binary inclusion in running. How can I make this more, you know, available to, to people, you know, to race directors, but also to people like me who want to have these conversations, but didn't feel empowered to do so, didn't feel like they had the knowledge to step into those conversations. So that's kind of what started it. It was just like, an email to a race director, and now it has grown into this huge project where this guide has kind of been sent across the industry, both within the U.S. but also around the world. And you know, I've got a website, nonbinaryrunning.com, and um, there, you know, I've built out this database because as I started to do this, I realized, okay, if we're going to be creating nonbinary divisions, we need to know where those divisions are, right? So let's create a database that has all the races that have a nonbinary division. Okay, well, what about the non-binary runners out there? Like, how can I connect with them? Okay, well, we're going to start to pool them together, like on a Facebook group or, you know, a Discord channel. How can I make this a more accessible resource? So I started making videos, like a TikTok series of like, here's me just doing like an audio visual component of this. So it really has just blossomed into this really exciting project that... We're seeing a lot of progress, and I'm about to actually leave to go back to Chicago because I'm working with the Chicago Marathon as a consultant as they build out their non-binary division. So lots of exciting progress. <sighs> it is a literally a full-time job that I am doing with part-time hours, right? Like it is, yes. it is so much wow. work, but it's yeah, so worth it. Oh my it. gosh. It's so, so worth it. And I always tell people, like, I was running my second marathon this past summer, and I always make a point now to, like, if I'm going to cross the finish line in a non-binary division, I'm going to have my non-binary flag around my neck. And Mm. I was running this marathon, and I came in, I had my sister hand off the flag to me at, like, mile 24, because I was like, Mm. I can't carry this the whole time. (laughs) So I tie it around my neck, and I'm, like, headed into the finish line. This was the first time this race had implemented this division and there was someone like kind of on the sideline area the corral and as I came down that path or that area they started like shouting and were like yes come on non-binary representation and it was just this moment of like oh my I didn't even like what who who are you like I you know I what I thought I was the only one and after the race this person had connected with me on Instagram and was like hey like I just wanted to say it was so cool to you know see someone just out there running as their authentic self you know I'm also non-binary I ran the the half marathon which finished just before the full and it was just so cool and it was such a wonderful moment to to see someone cross the finish line with that, with the flag and everything. And that's why I do it. Even if it's just one person, it's because I want the next kid like me to be able to feel or to, to feel like they can, you know, bring their full authentic self, mm. whether it be to the start line of a race, to school, to their family, right? Like I want that next person to be able to show up as their authentic self. And so what are the things I can do both with, you know, the way that the conversations I have, the clothing that I wear, the makeup that I put on, like what are those things that mm-hmm. I can do that will help to show and to create space for that next kid that comes along? 
Mm. It was I'm, a I'm long feeling, answer, I know. <laughs> I'm feeling, no, that was, I'm feeling so many things. I'm feeling so many things as like a human and also as a runner. Like, I feel so appreciative to the work you're doing. You're changing the industry. I mean, that's how I was connected to you. I have friends in the running industry who are mm-hmm. using your guide to make their races more inclusive mm-hmm. and are so appreciative of that resource. And I was like, oh, I have to talk to this person. Um, <laughs> and I am just so, yeah, I'm just so touched by the work you're doing in this world. And yes, like that sounds like so much work. And so I hope you're also like resting and playing and doing all the things to balance that out. <laughs> Trying to. <laughs> totally, totally. Because there is like a laboring, of course, that happens when we are, okay, I'm going to be the person to try to make this change happen. Mm-hmm. And you're doing that. And that is so fucking cool. And <laughs> so glad we got connected. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Okay. I want to talk you off, but I got to let you go. Before we do that, was there anything else we missed? Anything that wanted to be said in this conversation? Oh my goodness. I think, you know, the one thing that I've been trying to like share with people and, you know, talk to people about is I encourage folks to, who are like interested in, you know, how can I create a more inclusive space or like, what, what are the things I can do to help the next non-binary person or, you know, queer person that comes along? And my biggest piece of advice is don't make assumptions. When you first are introduced to someone, don't make assumptions based on their name or what they're wearing or whatever the case may be. Just don't make assumptions. And instead, ask them about their story, right? Mm. Engage with them, listen to the things they're saying and try to kind of build this bridge of understanding. You don't necessarily have to agree with their ideas or their you know, opinions, but I think society has to get to a place where we can just be empathetic and we can really start to connect and engage with one another um, and not start off at this place of like assuming, oh, they, they identify as this or, oh, they've experienced this. Um, if we can start to peel back some of those things, I think that it kind of sets a nice foundation for us to then continue to build toward a more, you know, inclusive um, space or, you know, accepting mm. space even, my goodness. <laughs> mm, right. Totally. Totally. That's it. Uh, well, Jake, I feel so appreciative of you for coming on to share your story, to have this conversation, but again, for the work you're doing in this world. And it's, yeah, this is just such a treat. I feel so affected by this conversation and I so appreciate you. This was awesome. And, and if it's okay with you, I want to link to all the ways people can connect with yes. you and learn more about your work. So if folks want to reach out and also learn more, look at the show notes of this episode. You have links there and uh, gosh, mm. Thank you so much. So good. Well, thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing because I think these conversations are super helpful for not only the next generation of queer folks, but I think just everyone in general to really, like I said, listen to people's stories and get to put yourself into their shoes or you know, get to hear a little bit of someone else's experience, I think is such an important part of, of living and um, interacting with others. So thank you. Hey, thanks for joining us for today's conversation. Feel free to head on over to secondadolescencepod.com for show notes and more. And you can connect further by following the show on Instagram at at secondadolescencepod. If you're interested in being a future guest on the show and you want to come on and share about your own second adolescence, visit secondadolescencepod.com slash be a guest and you can submit your interest there. 
All right, that's it for me for now. Whether it's morning, afternoon, night, wherever we're finding you in your day, go on out there and keep doing things that would make younger you absolutely thrilled. That is what it's all about. Mm. All right, take good care.